Miracles are in this place. Miracles are in this place. Blind eyes being opened is great. Deaf ears being opened are great. The lame healed and walking is great. But the greatest miracle of all is when God baptizes someone with His Spirit. And that can happen today. I don't know what would be more fitting than for someone who's never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost to receive it on Pentecost Sunday. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done. And thank you for what you're going to do. Hallelujah. God is great and greatly to be praised. And I'm excited. I'm excited. This is my first time getting to preach on Pentecost Sunday. And so, are you, if you guys are ready, I'm ready. I'm probably going to preach fast, so y'all listen fast, okay? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, where else, would, where else would we preach from on Pentecost Sunday? I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And then verses 37 through 39. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you're there, say amen. All right. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. I want that to happen today. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I pray everybody gets filled with the Holy Ghost today. If you've already had it, you can use a refilling. <laughs> and then skipping down for the sake of time to verses 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to preach on this subject, the promise of Pentecost. The promise of Pentecost. Would you help me pray? Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for what you've already done and what you're going to do, God. I pray right now that your spirit be loosed in this place to do what you want to do, God. We bind and take authority over every spirit that would try to distract or cause confusion, God. We oppose any spirit that opposes your spirit, God. God, let your word go forth and confirm your word with signs and wonders today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. All right. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now, I guess, Bishop T.F. Tenney wrote a book called Pentecost, 
What's that? And so there may be someone here today or you may be watching online and you may be asking yourself that question. What is Pentecost and what is the big deal about Pentecost Sunday? Well, let me ask you this question. Any of you husbands out here, if you're smart, do you make a big deal about your wife's birthday? You at least get her a card or some flowers or some chocolate, right? My beautiful bride's got a birthday coming up in a few weeks, and then I'm going to set a reminder in my phone so I don't forget to get her something. All right? Well, the reason we make a big deal out of Pentecost Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus' bride was born. All right? The day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, there's not very many things that you can get most theologians and biblical scholars to agree upon. There's going to be different opinions on all kind of things, different subjects, and one's going to believe this and another. But there is, if there is one thing that you can get any credible biblical scholar or theologian to agree upon is that the church was born in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so that's why we are celebrating here today. We are celebrating the birthday of the church, the bride of Christ. Now, the word Pentecost literally means 50. And that's the English, the English word, the, 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 the Jewish and the Hebrew, I believe. And I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, I'm sure. It was Shabbat or the Feast of Weeks. We call it Pentecost because it was... Literally, 50 days after the Passover, they celebrated the Feast of Weeks, or what we call Pentecost. And what they were celebrating, uh, they were celebrating the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. And so they would come, uh, as they were appointed, three times a year to Jerusalem, and they would bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest to offer to God as an offering. Uh, and so that was the celebration of, of the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And also, it also commemorated, commemorated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. All right? So there's a lot of parallels and symbolism between when God came down on uh, Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and to the nation of Israel and Pentecost. Okay? See? At Sinai, God wrote his laws on tablets of stone. But as we're going to see in a few minutes, at Pentecost, he wrote his laws on the tables of our heart. At Sinai, 3,000 Israelites died because they disobeyed God. But at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were born again because they obeyed God. And I could go on with the different similarities, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip on. You see, what happened on the day of Pentecost in the upper room was the culmination of 4,000 years of waiting, hoping, and anticipating. It was the fulfillment of a promise nearly as old as mankind. You see, from the time that Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden, God made the first prophetic promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said to Eve, your seed, there's going to be enmity between your seed and the serpent seed. All right? He's going to, the serpent seed is going to bruise your seed's heel, 
but you're going to crush his head. And at Calvary, Jesus Christ crushed the serpent's head. All right? It was also, Calvary was a fulfillment of Passover. Jesus was our Passover lamb. And just as when the Israelites were getting delivered out of Egypt the night before, they celebrated the Passover by killing the Passover lamb and eating it. When Jesus was crucified, he was our Passover lamb. He brought us out of the bondage of sin and slavery. All right? And so... At Calvary, he fulfilled fulfilled that first promise. But then there was another promise that would be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. You see, a promise is in a general sense. A declaration written or verbal made by one person to another which binds the person who makes it either in honor, conscience, or law to do or forbear a certain act specified. All right? It's a declaration which gives to the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of the act. It is a binding declaration of something to be done or given for another's benefit, such as the promise of a grain of land. In Scripture, the promise of God is the declaration or assurance which God has given in His Word of bestowing blessings on His people. Such assurance resting on the perfect justice Power, benevolence, and immutable veracity of God cannot fail of performance. Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. We as humans can break our promises for whatever reason or another, but when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And right before he ascended, 40 days after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1, he told his disciples... He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so about a week or so after Jesus gave that commandment, in the upper room that promise was fulfilled. And I wonder if they knew if that was going to be the day. Because he had opened their understanding in Luke chapter 24, but they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. And so I wonder if, if, if Peter said, hey, John, you know, I, I was reading the Scripture, and the Lord, he died on Passover, and he rose on first fruits, and today is Pentecost. I, I just think this might be the day. I, I don't know if that's how it happened, but it could have been. So when it comes, when he pours out the Spirit, and it gets noised abroad, and the crowd gathers, and they're wondering what's going on, Peter stands up with the other 11 apostles, and he used Joel's prophecy uh, that in the last days God will pour out of his spirit. But there's other scriptures that he could have used. He could have went to Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verse 25, that says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. From all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Or he could have went to Jeremiah 31. If you can put Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah wrote, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand 
to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was in husband unto them, saith the Lord. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And just like at Sinai that day began, the nation of Israel was birthed and the Mosaic Covenant was birthed on the day of Pentecost when God poured out His Spirit and those 120 in the upper room, the church was born and the new covenant that was written not in the blood of lambs and of goats but in Jesus' own blood began. It was a promise. It was the inauguration of the new covenant. And to fully understand exactly what all that entails, you got to go to Ephesians chapter 1. You see, I don't have time to go on to all that the Holy Ghost is. It's our comforter. It's the indwelling paraclete. It's our teacher. It leads and guides us into all truths. It's dunamis power. It's dynamite power to be a witness. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul is explaining to the Ephesians about what it is they have inside of them. And he says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now I just want to take pause right here for just a minute to explain something. There are some people that teach... That when you believe, when you hear the gospel and believe and repent, that you automatically receive the Holy Ghost. But that's not what this scripture says. It says, after you believed, you received. And to back that up, if, I, if you go, to, go home and read Acts chapter 8. Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches Jesus unto him. They, the Bible said they believe pre, uh, Philip's preaching. says they were baptized. They saw miracles, and there were devils cast out. But they didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. They had to send to Jerusalem for Peter and John to come down to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then if you go to Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, the people that were, he's this church that, was, that he's writing to here, and he finds certain disciples, and he asks them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we haven't even heard that there be such a Holy Ghost. So he says, well, how were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism. And then he has to explain, well, John pointed to Jesus. And so he rebaptizes them in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And then he lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Ghost. So you can believe without having the Holy Ghost. Does it mean you don't love God? Does it mean you don't have a relationship with God? But there's more. There's so much more, all right? And you can have, if you don't have that, you can have that today, all right? So it says, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that seal, you got to understand back in those days, when they had a, a document such as uh, for a contract, for like buying land or property or anything, 
a seal, each man had a seal. I think you mentioned this last week. They would have a ring, like a signet ring, that would have their mark or their seal. And on these documents, they would sign it, but then they would get some wax and put on there, and then they'd take that ring, and they would push it down in that wax, and that was their seal. That authenticated that document. See, when you receive the Holy Ghost, that's God's way of saying, you're mine. Yeah, you're mine. I put my stamp on you. I put my mark on you. All right? It's that seal. We're sealed. The Bible, later on, he would say we're sealed until the day of redemption. All right? It authenticates that we have been bought by Jesus Christ, that we belong to him. Merchant, merchandise, they would also, uh, uh, a business person, when they would have their vessels with their merchandise, they would put that seal on there. So the Holy Ghost is a seal that seals us. And then it also says that it is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, earnest is like a down payment. When we bought our house when we were in Louisiana, when we made an offer and we went to sign a contract, we put down what's called earnest money or it's money in good faith, all right? It's saying, this is a little bit to guarantee you that I'm going to buy this house. It's not the full price, but I'm giving to this to you. And that's what the Holy Ghost is, all right? It's God giving us, saying, hey, look, I'm putting a down payment on you. I'm coming day back one day, and I'm going to redeem you. Paul says that what we have now, this is what gets me excited. What we have now is just the first fruits of the Spirit. It's just the earnest of our inheritance. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. This is just the tip of the iceberg. When he comes, see, John chapter 3 said Jesus had the Spirit without measure. All right, Colossians said, all the fullness of God dwelled in him bodily. Right now, we just got a little taste of it. But when he comes back, we're going to have, whoo, <laughs> we're going to be like him, it says. I don't know about y'all, but I, 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 that blows my mind. As great as the baptism of the Holy Ghost is, this is just the first fruits. This is just the down payment. All right? Hallelujah. So, that's part of the promise. Now, if y'all can put Galatians chapter 3, I've got to hurry. In verses 13 and 14, Paul's writing to the church at Galatia. They were having some problems. All right, they had been born again of the water and spirit, but they were trying to go back to the law and, you know, say you got to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and all that stuff. And so Paul, he's writing to them and he says, Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of Pentecost. I think Brother Tony brought a Jeff Arnold spirit up with him yesterday, and it got off on me, all right, when I hugged him yesterday. Because, see, if we really understood what this means, we'd be running and shouting and climbing these walls. Because <laughs> some of you probably know, but maybe some of you don't know that 
that Abraham, he was kind of a big deal, all right? He's a big deal in the Bible, okay? The three major monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they all trace their lineage back to Abraham. God called Abraham his friend. He called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, made a bunch of promises to him, all right? If y'all can go to his, uh, Exodus chapter 22. I don't have time to go into all the promises. But see, most of us are Gentiles. We're not Jews. And up until the day of Pentecost, we didn't have any hope. Paul told the Ephesians later on in chapter 2 that, that at that time you were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, there were certain promises that those children of Israel claimed because they were of the lineage of Abraham. All right? And in Exodus chapter 22, like I said, there's a whole bunch of them. But Exodus chapter 22 I mean, Genesis chapter 22, I'm sorry, guys. Genesis chapter 22 is one of my favorites. To give you the context of this, this is after God had told Abraham to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice, all right? And so Abraham obeyed, and he's pulled the knife out, and he's about to kill him, and God says, whoa, whoa, no, no, all right? And so this is the context of this. And in verse 15 it says, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Are y'all getting? Galatians 3 says, when we receive the spirit of promise, we're Abraham's seed. So according to this, I possess the gates of my enemies. I pray this scripture over my babies almost every day. I say, Isabella Faith Wilson will possess the gates of her enemies. Reagan Daniel Wilson will possess the gates of our enemies. And see, when you put that together with Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of the living God. For far too long, we've been on the defense. We're not made to be on the defense. We're born to storm the gates of hell. You see, I'm not a soldier. I wasn't in the army. I don't know a lot about warfare, but I do know this. 
Gates are not offensive weapons. Gates are the last line of defense, right? Back in those days, they had walls around the city. And in the day, they would open the gates so people could come in and out at night. They'd close the gates so the enemies wouldn't come and attack. All right? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of the living God. You know why they can't prevail against the church of the living God? Put Revelation chapter 1 up there. They can't prevail against the church of the living God because they're not locked. They're not locked. And they can't be locked. Because Revelation 1, verse 17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me and said unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. The gates of hell can't be locked because they don't even have the keys. Jesus has got the keys. Now look, I, I, I know this is probably not how it happened, but bear with me. This is how I kind of see it happen. Anybody used to watch wrestling? I used to watch wrestling when I was young. Not, I don't watch it anymore. I've been sanctified and saved. But, you know, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, right? All right? And so a lot of times, I've seen this happen so many times, the bad guy would body slam or do something to the good guy, and the good guy's laid out. He's acting like he's out. And the bad guy, he would start celebrating. He would start, oh, you know, acting like, you know, this, playing, talking to the crowd. The crowd's booing. He's interacting with the crowd, not realizing that behind him, the good guy's getting up and sneaking up behind him. See, that's what I kind of think what happened when Jesus died on the cross, okay? This is my mind, all right? Just play along with me, all right? In hell, Jesus has died, all right? In hell's having a party, man. You know, they're, they're high-fiving and they're fist-bumping and, and old Satan and death are over in the corner. They got them some good Cuban cigars, you know, and they're, they're puffing away and they're happy, you know. And all of a sudden you hear, boom, boom, boom. And Satan goes, what is that? He sends one of his imps, go see what that is. About a minute, here comes the imp. Uh, uh, sir, uh, yeah, yeah, what is it? Uh, uh, it it's him. <laughs> what do you mean it's him? It, it, it's him. Him who? Him, him. And about that time, him walks Jesus, walks up to death and says, give me those keys. I'm about to have a jailbreak here. See, the Bible says that while he was dying, he went to hell and preached unto the spirits that were captives. Says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Colossians said he spoiled principalities and powers. That means he took all their stuff. He stripped them of their power. He stripped them of everything. So we got to let quit letting the enemy lie to us. And we got to start storming the gates of hell. Because that's part of the promise of Pentecost. When you get his spirit in you, you can storm the gates of hell. That's the only reason I'm standing here today. Because I had a mom and daddy when I was bound in chains of addiction. They said, no, you ain't getting my boy. And through prayer and fasting, they bombarded and stormed the gates of hell and pulled me out of there. Hallelujah. Talking about the promise of Pentecost. You can have that promise. You don't have to take what the enemy comes against you with. You have power and authority through his spirit and through his blood and through his name. You mentioned it earlier today. That spirit that's in you, that's the same spirit that in Genesis chapter 1, 
began to move upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be that spirit that caught order out of chaos lives in you. So when chaos and confusion and all hell comes against you, all you got to do is say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. I call order. I speak to the chaos coming against me, and I call it to order in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm coming to a close. Yesterday morning, music, you guys can come. I'm running out of steam. Anyway, yesterday morning, I was in the shower getting ready to go to Brother Gastineau's funeral. And I'm praying and I'm preaching because I do my best preaching in the shower. If I could preach behind this pulpit the way I preach in the shower, I'd be preaching general conference and because of times every year. But I'm sitting there praying, going over this message, and I'm thinking about what happened last Sunday in the last few weeks. And see, just like Pentecost, that feast of Pentecost represented the first fruits of the barley harvest, I felt the Holy Ghost say to me, everything, we got to celebrate what's happened because what's been happening last week and the last few weeks is just the first fruits of what God wants to do in the church of Omaha. This is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg. You can stand. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, we used to sing a song that went, the wind is blowing again. The wind is blowing again. Just like the day of Pentecost, the wind is blowing again. If you hadn't noticed, the wind is blowing at Church of Omaha. It's blowing again. It wants to blow in here today. God wants to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost today. You can get a refilling or it can be your first time. It doesn't matter. All you got to do is want it. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? You can have the promise of Pentecost today. Only four things that keep you from getting the Holy Ghost. One is a lack of desire. You got to want it. You got to want it. Just ask. It's a free gift. Jesus took that beating. He took those beatings on his back, the crown of thorns on his head, the scars in his hands and his feet, that spear in his side, so you, you can have that promise. The next thing will be lack of faith. You got to believe. He said, Paul said, we receive the spirit of promise by faith. So you got to want it. You got to have faith. The other two things that are keeping from having is lack of repentance. You got to have your heart clean. You got to say, God, forgive me. I know I've been, I've made a mess in my life. Please forgive me. Help me. My mentor, Brother Jerry Rollins, he, he, 
he was so he broke it down it's so simple it's it's this easy just go to God tell him how bad you've been and tell him how good he is <laughs> you know my little daughter she's already figured it out if she wants something from me she knows how to get it she bats those eyes and that smile and that's kind of how you got to be with God God I'm sorry I messed up please forgive me I love you I, I want you to help me it's that simple then lack of obedience if you repent and then you get baptized it's a promise it's a promise Peter said the promise is unto you and to your children it's not just for Pentecostals it's for whosoever will so if you want the Holy Ghost the altar is open you can have it today I'm not, I'm not the best preacher and I'm certainly not the best salesman but I hope I have at least made a case for why you should want the Holy Ghost. I didn't even have time to get into Romans chapter 8. You know, it's the spirit of our Father. All right, when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, that spirit that's been separated from God your whole life, all of a sudden you're reunited and your spirit goes, Daddy, yeah! I love it when I've been gone for a while and I come home and my kids, daddy, daddy, that's what your spirit is saying when you get the Holy Ghost and that same spirit if that spirit dwells in you the Bible says it's going to quicken your mortal body one day that's the promise of Pentecost if you want that promise the altars are open if you want to be refilled the altars are open if not, well, I think we should just come and celebrate all those 15 that got filled out the promise last week Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah.